Hey, podcast listeners, Patrick Hawkins and I delve really deep during this episode, so have Google standing by. This is the Made in the Trade Demon in a Bottle episode. Hey everybody, I'm Alan Forbes. I'm joined here with Mr. Patrick Hawkins. Hello there, Aerospace. How are you today? Excellent. And uh, we are going to be discussing the Demon in a Bottle storyline, uh, Iron Man number 128. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, Patrick, you know a little bit of backstory behind what went into this, some of the uh, creator uh, trivia as well. So just in summary, what, what do you define Demon in a Bottle as? Demon in a Bottle, uh, certainly for its time, is and kind of remains actually a, a serious benchmark in um, humanizing uh, Marvel's main characters as it is. Uh, the the notion that a um, what's what considered at the time an A list character, even though at the time Iron Man was really really more at the top of the B list in terms of Marvel's inventory, like like giving him alcoholism and and actually calling it alcoholism and showing the effects of it and having him deal with it. Um, that was pretty groundbreaking stuff for what was essentially like uh, early eighties. Um, you know, this is still heavily in the in the coded days, long before the direct market, long before anything remotely like mature audience uh, items were being peddled out uh, by DC and Marvel. And mm-hmm. they suddenly realized, Hey, we can make money up uh, doing dirty words and adult themes and things like that. So mm-hmm. let's go in that direction. But um, no, it, uh, also, too, uh, it certainly has uh, its criticism. Looking back on it now, it, it gets some criticism because it's like, oh, okay, well, he, it takes like two issues for him to develop alcoholism or at least realize mm-hmm. he's got it, have the bad effects from it, and then there's the issue where he deals with it, so it's lots of panels of him having cold sweats and getting right. angry and throwing things, and then at the end, okay, I've got it licked, and he mm-hmm. never goes to an AA meeting, he never you know, really deals with any after effects. And that was revisited later on. Right. Um, but again, when you look at it too for its time, that was some pretty ballsy stuff. Yeah, it, it's uh, it 1970, really mid mid 70s or early 70s. Uh, I think it was late 70s, late 70s uh, early okay. 80s. Yeah, this is this was rather unheard of for its time. Yeah. And so you, we're talking about substance abuse, and is this around the same era that Denny O'Neill did his? This would be much later. This would be this is uh, much later. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the, the Denny O'Neill um, penned issue of uh, Green Lan- Green Arrow, Green Lantern, where Green Arrow's mm-hmm. sidekick Speedy, of course, announced his addiction to to heroin. Right. Um. That was the first one that broke the rules as it is that that's that was, the first one and that was the we, first time any major comic book character of the good guys you know had right. been addicted to a substance and and to be honest you know in a, in a moderately realistic fashion for its time right and we also had harry osborne harry osborne dropping acid abusive. yeah um that was do you remember what era that was i mean it's around the same that time. was yeah that was a late 60s early 70s um okay. that was the gary conway ross andrew period i believe mm-hmm. um yeah i remember too he was like still having a bad trip uh you know when right around gwen case stacy passed away mm-hmm. in those issues when gwen stacy got killed and peter was just 
balls out like obsessed with revenge. He goes to visit Harry, and Harry's still having a bad trip. He's like, hey, Peter, what's going on? As this? And Peter's just being like a cold prick to him. And mm. it's just justifiable because his dad just killed the woman he loved. Right. And he just walks away. Well, see you around, Harry. He's like, Peter, wait. I, uh, thunk. You know. <laughs> Shut up, Green Goblin Spawn. I know. Poor. Poor Harry, he just—he <laughs> was just born to die, you know. Yeah. And it's really, kind of a shame. You could just look at—you know—he was—he was true. If anybody was an absolute innocent victim of being a friend of Peter Parker, it was probably mm. him, like the most, because right. he truly had no connection to Spider-Man. He was just, mm-hmm. "Hey, Peter!" Yeah, I yeah like he liked you. Peter for Peter. Yeah, you know, and <laughs> Peter was the only guy who never made fun of his hair. <laughs> right. <laughs> I will always love the Michelin uh, Atomic Farland years when oh, I remember somebody, that. yeah, somebody walked punk in, rocker. somebody walked in, saw <laughs> Harry Osborn, and, and, and is a punk rocker with a very tall mohawk yeah i just saw osborne and just the thought blue was whoa crazy hair yeah <laughs> i remember that very specifically it's like like wow how does a white guy like develop cornrows without any product or... <laughs> red and black cornrows yeah okay, i haven't helped him but anyway back to iron man uh-huh. uh <laughs> yeah so... so there is a history of of some substance abuse in in, in uh, there is some books, but it's always but this is the first time it is the title character the pro- right? yeah the pro- main protagonist yeah. It's, uh, yeah it was uh it was the friend it was the teenage sidekick mm-hmm. but uh, they decided let's up the ante and do it with the main character right um and yeah this 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 caused some and the nice thing to well not nicely but the curious thing today is that it still is acknowledged it's still canical mm-hmm. um it crops up every now and again um i wish we would i honestly wish we would see I, uh tony stark actually going to aa meetings and mm-hmm. acknowledging it a little bit more <clears throat> right. as a real alcoholic always has to mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, oh, i'm a recovering alcoholic this that whatever right. you know marvel does a balance as is once in a blue moon there is an acknowledgement to it um, mm-hmm. a year ago in the um what was that Asgardian crossover thing. I can't keep track of Marvel anymore. I, I know what you're talking about. Uh, this is the with all the hammers, with the serpents, and the hammers. Yeah, and yeah. You Fear know. itself. I believe. Fear itself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which all it was was just a commercial for the next big thing. But yeah. the the one scene when Tony is trying to invoke Odin, get his attention. So Tony makes a sacrifice and he takes off his helmet and he holds up a bottle of whiskey. Oh, brother. He's like, fine. Okay, you know what? Okay, I'm giving you a sacrifice. I'm sacrificing my dignity. And he starts oh, wow. chugging it. And <laughs> and Odin appears. He's like, all right, Stark, you got my attention. Wow. You know? And that was a pretty <clears throat> powerful and remarkable contextual thing. And hmm. I was like, that almost made the entire thing worthwhile to me. Interesting. Notice I said almost. Though. Almost. <laughs> That's uh, that's something that I basically skipped. I can't give you much detail on fear itself, personally. Hey, um, a bunch, bunch of people get hammers, and instead of looking as guardians, they look like Tron, and right, which had just come out, and that Tron look was very vogue at the time, about yeah. a year and a half ago. And I think the ultimate thing that happened was Bucky died yet again. Yeah, and so did Thor, although I think that lasted exactly about a week and a half. Oh, okay. Because it was like, Thor is dead. Hey, next <laughs> month, Thor number one. <laughs> <laughs> Gods don't stay like, dead. And Loki became a kid again. I don't know. Oh, boy. Get Jalodi back on if you want to talk yeah. about that. <laughs> uh, so uh, there's some stuff leading up to issue 128. So we read The Trade, which is The Demon in the Bottle, McLeany. Uh, Leighton and Ramita Jr. By the way, John Ramita Jr.'s art does not look like today's John Ramita Jr. art. Absolutely not. Um, it is not distinguishable. Um, possibly also because Leighton, it's meant to look like Leighton because Leighton does the finishes 
And Leighton's probably like, hey, if you're going to draw, make him look like me. Like, don't. Don't do your own stuff in this. I think. Well, I think too. And and, and this is back in the day when there and Ramit was, was very was was very young at the time. Right. And um, I think it was kind of doing house style. And mm-hmm. the, really, there was no sense of stylization. Um, mm-hmm. Things in those years were kind of all right. Buy the book. Don't you can get you can get a little crazy here and there. But for the most part, like mm-hmm. standard continuity right. panel to panel. Um, Jim Shooter was very big on that. Um, mm-hmm. He was kind of infamous. I know a lot of artists, you know, talked about the the artistic constraints that they sort of mm. decreed on down. Right. Um, I can see his point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like again, we saw in the '90s if you let artists go absolutely loose, you mm-hmm. you get pretty splash pages, but you right. don't get much of uh, storytelling or a sense of narrative or anything, unless you or just consistency. Want... Yes, that like, too. You know, I would read. Um, in the late 80s when McFarlane's run of the Hulk ended and Jeff Purves began, I thought it was a completely different character. I was like, who is this guy? Oh, <laughs> it's the same character. You know, it's weird. I tried to look it up Jeff Purves the other day because I kind of thought about it. I always felt sorry for him because mm-hmm. yeah, he had to be the main guy though to, to follow McFarlane. Right. And of course, you know, I, I'm sure sales of the books dropped like tremendously. Yeah. But then people kind of held on and mm-hmm. um, I... I actually liked him. I really mm-hmm. did. I thought his, I thought him doing, you know, the Mister Fix It stuff uh, mm-hmm. kind of worked. And then, of course, Gary Frank came on board, and mm-hmm. he reinvigorated it for a while. And and that was like another apex of the Peter David years. So. Right. But yeah, but still, Jeff we're talking Curves. about Iron Man. I know. Yeah, I know. We, we're we're gonna <laughs> ramble on this. A little one, bit of rambling. Don't worry about but, it. But uh, so, with regards to issue one twenty eight, uh, there's some stuff that really affects issue one twenty eight that precedes it that is in this trade. So, uh, main the main thing that happens that's not in issue one twenty eight is the fact that the character Justin Hammer, a competing uh, CEO against Tony Stark, he takes control of the armor and he actually causes Iron Man to assassinate a foreign dignitary on national television. Yes, and that's something that I do wish they would once in a while go back to. Uh, yeah. It's a it's a brilliant idea. It's the first time, to my knowledge, anybody actually hacks into Iron Man's armor and takes mm-hmm. over. And, of course, the dignitary is a big, huge, oh, I love the Iron Man. Right. Oh, you're my favorite. Blah, blah. And he's, you know, <laughs> he's he's got his arm around him, and while mm-hmm. he, Iron Man's patting him on the back, his repulsor blast activates, he shoots him right through the chest in national right. television, and everybody's like, ah! Right. And Bethany Cabe, who at the time was the main love interest, uh-huh. and remember too, this was before Iron Man went public was his identity. Right, it's like right. throughout all this time, Iron Man was just simply known he is Tony Stark's bodyguard, mm-hmm. and um, nobody knew they were the same as it is. And of course, anytime trouble would happen. Uh, Tony would disappear, change into Iron Man, you know, mm-hmm. fight off the bad guys, and somebody would ask, "Well, where's Mister Stark? I took Mister Stark to a secure location." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. And, you know, you never saw the two of them in the same room twice. But, Um, yeah, like you said, this is a different era, so they kind of had to make sure that they don't hold that over Iron Man's head for very long. Yeah. Um, Which, if it was written today, it's like, oh, man, this is, like... um, I'm going to try not to refer to other comic book storylines because this does <laughs> this does remind me of other comic book storylines. But yeah, this is, you know, imagine if a major character kills someone on national television like they'd be ostracized for quite a while. 
They certainly would, or or at least duplicate the illusion of it, and then as soon as a new creative team took over, it'd be forgotten. But uh, yeah, but true. I I do see your point though, and yeah, this is kind of a big deal. The police do kind of have to arrest him and book mm-hmm. him, and then that's kind of like well, you know, and then there's the well, he is an Avenger. He says he didn't do it, and. <laughs> Then, right. <laughs> and uh, again, Bethany Cabe, who at the time is is Tony Stark's main love interest. Of course, she works in private security, and she mm-hmm. hates Iron Man. Um, right. And she thinks he does a lousy job of protecting Tony Stark, mm-hmm. and she's always poking a figure at him. It's just like, you don't deserve to be like Tony Stark's like bodyguard. And meanwhile, he's the thought bullet. Boy, if she only knew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? Classic. And of course, it was written in the way, too. Also, another thing in that time, too, uh, when you, if you read this trade... Um, a lot of stuff gets restated over and over again, and that mm-hmm. is because back in those days, yes, this was the time when every comic still was the idea of, you gotta assume this is somebody's first issue. Right. So when she's poking Iron Man's chest saying, you are just don't deserve to be Iron Man's bodyguard, there'll be a thought below say, boy, if she only knew that the man she's poking right now is Tony Stark. Yeah, <laughs> you <know>? exactly. <laughs> so, beginning of Iron Man uh, 128, we've got um, kind of similar to the cover, and that's a very iconic cover where you have he's he's got the, the helmet off, yeah. he's staring at himself besheveled in the mirror with yeah. the, the strewn uh, bottles all over the place. Um, we see something similar where he's sitting at the desk, alas, poor Yorick, I knew him well, mm-hmm. uh, holding the, uh, the shell head head in his hand. <laughs> Uh, reflecting, oh boy, Iron Man, you and I have seen better days. Mm-hmm. Um, it's some some iconic images in there, even though the the story doesn't have a lot of the substance that we're used to today. There's still some really interesting images in this uh, issue. It is that cover is probably I would put it at one of the the top of the. B list of classic covers, and, and mm-hmm. again, that's nothing against the the creative team or, or anything else. Mm-hmm. It's just that this is this was kind of a big deal, and unfortunately, this whole storyline has kind of faded after a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, too, I think, but what we're talking about today, though, contextually, you can understand. Look, guys, no one ever done this before. Right. This was a big deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was like it's understandable they brought this up and then shriveled it down because you know who knows they would have thought they were always. Comics were always so scared of like parental groups and everything on else. It mm-hmm. was like the the threats of the 1950s shutdown, which led to the development of the comics code, was mm-hmm. always the back of someone's head. Right, and more so then than even today. You know, comics, DC and Marvel were owned by a holding company that so-called, I hate to use the term suits, but yes, there were mm-hmm. suits upstairs that just didn't know diddly squat about what was going on downstairs. Right, and um. It's kind of interesting, you know, it's like, read it with a grain of salt, but uh, if you ever get mm-hmm. a chance, uh, check out Jim Shooter's blog. Oh, um, yeah. Really interesting stuff. Uh, again, too, it's it's interesting to get his perspective, because he certainly was, and probably is, one of the most hated men in comics. Do you, is by, he really? I, I would think so. By the, wow. by the talent, uh, and the people had to work under him, hmm. nope, you just, you're hard-pressed to find anybody who had to work under his regime and mm-hmm. has anything good to say about it. Hmm. But... And I do think he rewrites history a little bit, but it mm-hmm. is interesting to see his perspective of, one, it's nice to, to read somebody who 
creatively works in comics but acknowledges the business aspect of comics and the logistical side of comics too he Mm -hmm. like just little things like you couldn't have this page next to this page because the way pages are laid out in the printing thing as it is you're going to give it away and then we'd have to put an ad in the middle just things that we as readers just really don't quite like glom onto Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but he talks a lot too about having to explain stuff to the guys upstairs because he was the one that literally had to go up to he was the go-between two yeah two floors upstairs so you had a writer and an artist yeah yelling at him for for changing or altering or everything on else and, and then he had to approach the, he the had money to go man. upstairs and then yeah. they yelled at him for what's going on so that that was this this the ballsiness of having their guy be an alcoholic right and um and and uh, quite all honestly if they really wanted to be timely they should have had him as a cokehead <laughs> but mm. But that I was a line they weren't about to cross. Probably not, too. They were just, I will give him an addiction and let's go ahead and we'll, we'll give him Well, there's also the legal. issue of, if it, yeah, exactly. It's got to be legal. <laughs> yeah. It's, he's, he's still a superhero. He can't just be breaking the law in his addiction. Exactly. So, yeah, he's, the alcohol is still legal today, as it has been for the last almost hundred years now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Iron Man was basically pushed over the edge. Not only was he basically murder, he basically murdered someone. I mean, it's like basically murdered. He created the weapon that killed this man. Yes, he was inside the armor when this man died. Um, yes, he was exonerated, but at the same time, it's like he's got to feel responsibility for this guy's death. Yeah, and he also um, another thing in going up to it too uh, with with the introduction of Justin Hammer mm-hmm. um, and forget about the cinematic version of Justin Hammer. Mm-hmm. The original Justin Hammer in the comics was much more elegant and right. and to, older. Yeah, and older. And this is this is why this is the dichotomy I think that is kind of forgotten about in Iron Man. To me, you know, in the in the movie everybody talks about well they ruined the Mandarin his arch enemy as it is. And I've never looked at the Mandarin as his arch enemy. His arch enemy has always been classically the other industrialists. Mm-hmm. Stark is the self-made Howard Hughes, mm-hmm. Steve Jobs, right. m- creative madman. Yeah. And um, But he's also always been portrayed, though, as the guy who pays his salaries very well to his employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Everybody gets a pension. Everybody right. gets free medical and dental. He's always been portrayed as the industrialist we could all get behind. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, the evil industrialists always looked at him terribly. And then... When they moved him away from doing munitions in the 70s, and they mm-hmm. got that kind of off his, that warmonger, you know, thing off his back, that, of course, opened up for uh, the other evil industrialist, Mordecai Midas, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Justin Hammer, and then later on Obadiah Stane, to right. basically be, well, you know, we're going to buy out Stark Industries and retool it and get back in the weapons game again, mm-hmm. you know? And... It's 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 an old trope, but you know what? It's still very pertinent and valid today. I think. Right, and, right, and and yeah. certainly deal enough with uh, the the military defense budgets and this this idea of you know. So I mean, look at drones. Yes, I mean, exactly. drones are in the media all the time now, and this is you know something you would only read about in a comic There's book back in the day. The new wave of GI Joe figures. Duke, the figure, comes yeah. with a drone. Oh my god. I, I, I kid you not. He, the, the, the fig, he actually comes with a, an assassination drone. It should have a name. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> hey, Joes, I'm going to send out Rover. He's going to make sure Cobra's not in the area. Wherever they had those those little robots that they would send out. What was a flamethrower? What was a machine gun? Oh, yeah. It was like, 
I forget what the third one was. was yeah, some, like had rockets on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. something like that. Pack rats, I think they were. Yeah, called. that's right. Yes, mm-hmm. it was like against the, the snake armor. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, GI Joe nerd. Him. Anyway, <laughs> um, it's, and another thing, Lita. Another thing I thought was interesting too. One thing that this in this trade that's dropped that Justin Hammer drops, which mm-hmm. a lot of people have chosen to ignore or just probably flat out just ignorant of, was that Hammer basically says he had been kind of supplanting and helping out all the other technology-based sort of goon villains Mm -hmm. up until that point. Um, Blizzard and Ghost and Porcupine. Whiplash. Whiplash, yeah. Basically, all the villains that kind of had a technology base. Basically, if they they wore armor. Basically, if they wore armor, had a technology-based armor. They may not mm-hmm. have bought it from him, but essentially, he probably was their repair station, mm-hmm. as it is. And he says, well, you know, I get a percentage of, uh, of what they steal, and I'll fix up their armor, provide them with technology, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And then Bendis and Secret War kind of ignored all that and retooled it and oh. said it had to do with Latveria or whatever, which I thought was a... I was reading it through. I was like, wait a minute. They said Justin Hammer did all this. And that's what mm-hmm. made Justin Hammer cool. Because right, right. he was... Again, he was elegant, he was old world, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, he was that, that proto-Illuminati, you know, cigarette holder, like, walking around, like, very well, and send out the drones, and, you know, mm-hmm. and, yeah, again, it was, it was, it's a classic villain, it may not be an original villain, but right. I, I thought he was the great opposite of Tony Stark and Iron Just Man. Just because he didn't don armor himself exactly. and go out he on the was, field, he doesn't would... mean that he's a, not a great foil for... Uh, CEO Tony Stark. Yes, he was a he was a mastermind. Mm-hmm. He was didn't get his hands dirty. Right. Always always was able to escape and never get anything proven. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, he just worked. And um, so speaking of corporate stuff, there's also a corporate backstory that they they mention you don't really see going on, but you've got this sh- shield being involved in the buyout of Stark Industries. Yes. And I don't see representatives of S.H.I.E.L.D. in this. I don't see S.H.I.E.L.D. literally buying out the stock, but it's mentioned several times, and that's, like, really the crux of this issue that we're talking about. True. Is, uh-oh, Stark Enterprise is going to get bought out. I hope Jarvis doesn't sell his last shit. Oh, he sold him the sold S.H.I.E.L.D., the you shield. idiot! Yeah, um, yeah, that was... Yeah, that was another thing, too. Um, it, it It's weird. Tony... Uh, Tony Stark's relationship with Nick Fury has always been been kind of curious, and Nick Fury has definitely been uh, a very mercurial character. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes he's the stand-up guy right. who is not about any of the dirty tricks and stuff and things like that, and then sometimes he is the dirty tricks guy. Because right. um, he's got to do what's got to be done. Yeah, and, and he's probably the exception that proves the rule, I think, about about that sort of thing in terms of, okay, Tony, Nick Fury is probably the one character that, yes, I can see that, okay, he could be uh, a straight-up guy in one storyline, but then he can be kind of, yeah, CIA-ish and shifty-ish in mm-hmm. the next one, just by virtue of his position and everything on else. Right. Um, and I'm assuming he appears either before or after these issues, because he doesn't appear in this particular trade. No, he's kind of curious. I know do you remember story, if he I know does? He, he's in the background a couple of scenes as okay. it is, but for the most part, yeah, he's 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 just around. Mm-hmm. He's, he's considered a force as it is, but uh, yeah, it, there's, there's definitely some 
oddities too and i think the whole shield buyout thing was sort of post again you're talking about like late 70s watergate and all that stuff was still kind right. of fresh in everybody's mind so the government is still the the evil boogeyman at this period pretty much yeah pretty much and uh yeah you, you see a fair amount of that and, mm-hmm. and and yeah too so it's it's a tony stark is kind of boxed into and it's curious because he's kind of boxed in by all the elements that comprise his origin. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go back to him, Tony Stark was Mr. Government, you know, it's like gizmo mm-hmm. guy. And, right. Uh, all right, well, you know, with my inventions, you should be able to, to win the war in Vietnam in a month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And that, that goes back to, you know, Superman capturing right. Hitler and throwing him at the world court and like, mm-hmm. okay, the war is over. <laughs> Thanks, oh, Superman. No, it isn't. I, um, oh, hey, kids, comics. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So uh, I think it's interesting, too, that, yeah, he Stark goes from being Howard Hughes, and then he kind of goes to being a rogue industrialist who's not a part of the system, mm-hmm. and uh, so the system comes after him. Right. So you've got the S.H.I.E.L.D., basically the U.S. government, in a sense, an arm of the U.S. government, buying is, out his private company. Which is always weird, because S.H.I.E.L.D. is something else that's never been ill-defined, too. Yeah. Uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. was always supposed to be international. Right. And yet it always seems to be beholden to the United States. And yeah. I always I always thought somebody needed to kind of go back and kind of reassess that, too. I always interpreted the term international as that they address international affairs, but they are a United States body. That, that was my interpretation. That would kind of work. I, I always got the idea that there was a truly international organization. I, it um, certainly wasn't represented in the, then, the cast of characters we saw in S.H.I.E.L.D. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. Who's I, representing Asia here? <laughs> it, 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 well, it's kind of funny. I remember in a, uh, a, a great one-shot by James Robinson, uh, A Tales of Suspense, Tony Stark meets the head of what would be the Japanese equivalent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And mm-hmm. he was introduced to stuff. And, of course, he had, like, the samurai top knot, and his outfit was, like, bright red with a shining symbol, whatever. And uh, he just seemed like a cool character I only saw once. And I was just like, I, you know, I'd like to see more of that guy. But I guess mm-hmm. in that way, it sort of said to me, all right, they have decided that S.H.I.E.L.D. is a, a national organization operating mm-hmm. internationally, maybe with satellite bases, but for the most part, governments have their own branches, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, But apparently they, they like to buy out corporations that they don't like for whatever reason, I, I guess. And but you you look at continuity now. Of course, Shield and Hydra and and AIM were apparently all war and organization run by another organization called Kraken, which makes no oh. freaking sense whatsoever. I, not but, only do I not know that, I don't want to get into that. No, uh, yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey kids, comics. Hey kids, comics. Uh, so in this particular story, you have uh, Tony Stark. He just hits the bottle. All the stuff that we've been mentioning yeah. gets weighs on him so heavily that he. He, we see him take a couple of drinks in earlier issues. Yes. Uh, he, he asked for an extra bourbon on a flight yes. at some point. So They kind of drop the seeds. As yeah, and then finally it all comes to a head in this one issue. Um, he binge drinks, and he basically, to the effect of driving while under the influence, he's, yes. he, you know, a, a car is one thing, but if your car can shoot laser blasts and fly yeah. and be able to lift several tons above it, it's a much different story. Yeah, just a bit. Yeah, and and, he, and that's and, exactly what he does. Yeah, he try goes on out and he he screws up and mm-hmm. uh, doesn't doesn't screw up horribly. I mean, if it was written now, <laughs> a, he would probably be like a, a civil war thing where he you know mm-hmm. blows up a bridge by accident and kills a bunch of orphans and just you right. know uh, you know. But that's another thing too, and they don't really address it here. So the the big you know event is he picks up a, a chlorine um, t- 
tanker car from yeah. a train. And they're like, we got to get this out of here. He's like, I'll do it. And he picks it up yeah. by like this flimsy little rail mm-hmm. on the front of the car. Yeah. And it detaches. Oh, I didn't account for how much weight that thing could hold. And it smashes dangerous chlorine gas in which, the area. Which is, which is funny because, and again, I'm not deconstructing or anything, but mm-hmm. it is funny too because so much of... of of superhero f- structural physics oh, is, pre- right. is predicated on you get underneath something mm-hmm. and then kind of in the middle and then mm-hmm. you're able to lift it up and it doesn't collapse on itself. Right, which know? it should, but yeah, one person with a tiny little hand pushing it up shouldn't work the way it seems to in comic books. So it works, yeah. So the, the He was assuming old comic book logic would work yeah, in you know, this for, case. Yeah, so it wasn't so much that, that, that alcoholism <laughs> caused it to screw up as right. much as... A realistic view of physics constantly. Yeah. It's like, thanks a lot, jerk. <laughs> so yeah, that comes down and um and the thing is, is it was only a few issues ago that he assassinated someone on television. It's like, hey, hey, this guy just killed someone. I know we exonerated him, but look what he's doing now. It's like yeah. get this guy off the streets. We don't need Iron Man anymore. He's doing more harm <laughs> than good. Pretty much. And yeah, it was kind of getting the point where uh, you know, it, Almost getting to Spider-Man levels of, mm-hmm. yeah, that. Iron Man's a menace. Yeah, pretty much. Well, the funny bit is, too, is that nowadays people seem to be kind of neutral towards uh, towards Spider-Man. But, mm-hmm. yeah, in the 70s and the 80s, basically Spider-Man was, people were freaking out around him. They believed lock, stock, and barrel every editorial right. J. Jones Jameson sure. said. He would save an old lady from getting run over, and she'd start whacking him with his mm-hmm. cane and mm-hmm. be like, ah! You're a murderer and a monster, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't Aunt May either, you know. Right. It was some other old lady. Everyone who bought the bugle. Yeah, Aunt May, of course, that horrible Spider-Man. I don't oh. know why you take pictures of him, Peter. <laughs> he's, he's abominable. But so, so Iron Man is basically put in the same, same situation, but it's true. It's yes. still true. Like, you know, Peter didn't do all these horrible things, but Iron Man, sure enough, it was his armor that killed someone, and it was him under the influence, flying it, you know, without consequence. Yeah, and and then, of course, you know, it, it, it's his friends, whatever, sort of come to, or Bethany, I should mm-hmm. say, you know, kind of comes to him and acknowledges it, and then we get, yeah, we get the cleaning up, you know, right. sort of scene as it is. And, and we have uh, his old friend and butler, who, by the way, if you only know him from the uh, movies, Jarvis is not a computer in the comic books. Yeah, he's, he's a real he's a guy. real person, a real butler. And he's his old friend, and he resigns uh, his position from uh, Tony Stark because of the way this guy's been treating him. Yes. And so it all comes to a head when um, he comes to Jarvis for forgiveness. Uh, he cleans up his act with Bethany, mm-hmm. and uh, Jarvis and Bethany are behind him 110%. And then it is revealed that Jarvis has sold his remaining shares of Tony Stark's Enterprise to shield uh-oh but it's not revealed that it's shield yet right it's this intermediary no i think he's just basically said yeah broker. well i sold them a while ago yeah i sold it a third oh i think he found out they did sell them to and then he confronts him with jarvis he's just like you sold the starks well i i sold them to like a yeah a third party yeah the third party so so iron i know who man, i sold them to i just called up a broker and said it, that's i want to sell my shares it was like some broker that, that iron man starts to muscle yeah. He's like, you're going to give these shares back to Jarvis. He's like, I already gave them back to S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh-oh, oh, S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, yeah. But um, that was the thing, too. Is like, oh, how many ways does Tony Stark F up? And there's really not a lot of consequence behind it. So here's another part where he be- takes the role of mobster goon, starts 
going, boy, it sure would be terrible if your desk were to get smashed here. Oh, my. It's What else could have horrible happen in your office here? Stark is... Yeah, true. Stark is one of those guys that, uh, yeah, has kind of got... Well, he always... He always wrecks stuff, and mm-hmm. then he always walks out, and he always says, send Mr. Stark a bill. Yeah. You know, he's always doing he's always doing that <laughs> crap constantly. Just, no matter what he happens, you know, he farts. He's always just like, ah, send Mr. Stark a bill. You know? Right. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah, yeah, he kind of gets like the, that sort of man-driven as it is. Um, and I think, again, too, we're seeing sort of a change, too, in the sense that he's, he, Stark has always been portrayed as... He does kind of kind of see himself as a little bit above, um, not not like superior as it is, but he just always has sort of a gadfly attitude of whatever. I'm rich, pay for it, fine. Mm. Uh, I'm too busy being mean right now. I'm too busy being angry, and usually I'm happy go lucky. You know, mm-hmm. usually I'm Mister. Hey, how you doing? Hey, right. Hey, Cap, why are you so serious? Hey, mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you say we order a pizza? <laughs> So the retrib- I'll have Luigi. We'll fly in one from Italy, especially. <laughs> yeah. So basically, the retribution you see here, the the resolution of the hero is that I kicked drinking. Yes, and and he you know he holds up the and they still the don't know with he, the cap on and it. they still don't know he's Iron Man. Right. You know they still don't know that uh, he's Iron Man as it is. They're still working towards it. Everything else, it's still just like Tony. You gotta stop drinking. And mm-hmm. I, 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 you know. Oh right, no one knows. Does Jarvis even know? No. Oh wow! No, at that point is identity. So really, still there's secret. no one to to intervene and say, Tony, we need to make sure you don't drink and put on that damned armor. Yes, because someone could get killed again. Yes. Oh man! <laughs> Even though again, I was kind of hacked into. So right now, the the curious thing about this is that it, when all was said and done, and the repercussions um, later on, uh, a couple of years after this run. Denny O'Neill, on his run of Iron Man, would, with Luke McDonald's primarily as the artist, would revisit the alcoholism, mm-hmm. and that would be a much, much longer spiral. And that was so when, Denny, who had the experience with the speedy Green Arrow yeah, storyline. Yeah, it was kind of funny. I know Denny O'Neill had said in interviews, he said, well, you can't just resolve alcoholism all of a sudden. Because kind of afterwards, he made a good point. It was mm-hmm. never really acknowledged ever again. Right. It was almost, it was like alcoholism was treated as if, well, he just got sick and then he got better and then, oh, I'm fine now. I don't drink anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and not dealing with, no, once when you are an addict, you are a recovering addict for life. And when you're not mm-hmm. a recovering addict, then you're back to being an addict again. You mm-hmm. know, it's that, that cycle as it is. Mm-hmm. And so he, again, had had him kind of built up into a corner. This time it was Obadiah Stane. You know, it's like 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 pushing his buttons as it is. And... He got snoggered, and he just, you know, he hit truly hit rock bottom, started drinking again. That was when Rhodey took mm-hmm. on the Iron Man armor for a while. Okay. And that's when Tony Stark really lost everything and became a bum. And I don't uh. mean... I don't mean just 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 a while. I mean he he hit the streets and he didn't even want to bother pretending to anyone who was he's walking around in his Armani suit that was getting dirtier and dirtier and he was growing a beard <laughs> mm-hmm. and he was hanging out with bums and Rhodey was doing his best to uh, you know be Iron Man and of course he was the Iron Man that got sucked into Secret Wars. Yep. Yep. You know, in the famous scene when, you know, he takes off the gauntlet and Reed mm-hmm. Richards fixing the armor. And Did it he's surprise like, you that you'd find a black man under this armor? And of course, Reed Richards being, you know, Mr. Scientist, a guy that he, mm-hmm. that he, nice guy that he is. He's mm-hmm. like, hmm, well, no, I, I never thought about it. I, mm-hmm. well, I was pretty sure there was a man under there. 
<laughs> but um, I didn't make any other assumptions besides that. Anyway, sh- all right, this should work better for me. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and that's it's if so, it's kind of a sense of whatever Bob Layton uh, and Michelini uh, opened the door for in this. Uh, I th- I do think Denny O'Neill kind of ran with the ball later on. And I and I don't think this was an insult necessarily to what they created. I think they did as much as they could have done in its time. Sure. I just think that when that was open, it seemed like everybody was accepting of it. I just felt later on somebody was like, you know what? I think we could do a more realistic storyline about mm-hmm. this, and mm-hmm. which led to one of the the great uh, Iron Man storylines, like the fall and and re rise of uh, of Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. Um, basically. If things had kept going wrong in this one, that's kind of what would have happened. And right. we all saw the, cre- the creation of uh, Obadiah Stane, uh, which, of course, we saw a lot. In this and in Denny O'Neill's run was, I'd say, about 70% of the framework for the cinematic Iron Man. Right. You know, give and take, in terms of just to just characters mm-hmm. and everything else. And I met... Uh, Met Bob Layton uh, twice this year, actually, at conventions, yeah. and um, he hasn't given me details, but I just, okay. I, I chit-chatted with him, but essentially, he's still waiting for a check for Marvel about Justin Hammer. Um, oh, is he the creator of Hammer? He is the co-creator of Hammer. Okay. Um, and he wouldn't give me details, but he just kind of said, well, they, they sent a royalty check, but they sent it to the wrong guy. Okay. Uh, he said that it's, I, I, I. I this was at MegaCon, and I saw him just again literally a week ago at the mm-hmm. Orlando to, uh, Toy Show, as it is. And I said, hey, you might not remember, but we talked a little bit. So have they coughed up the money uh, about this whole thing? And he was like, well, my lawyer just left me a voicemail today, and I have a meeting on Tuesday. So wow. hopefully so we as will we see. speak. And so he's referring to this is kind of a new law, right, where creators have some sort of a... Uh, a claim to their characters because this it, seems like this is way before this was still under work for hire but um mm-hmm. again i'm not it's hard to get the details about these things right. but uh, as i understand it uh past a certain point marvel went ahead and just said we'll pay what's called a media fee mm-hmm. or a uh pub fee okay I assume several cases pay. i've heard these things dropped and essentially yeah you get a you get a check it's a piece of uh, you get a small piece of the action mm-hmm. probably not as much as they should get but they do get something at least right because like i said he said like oh well, yeah they sent checks out but they they sent my check to somebody else i have no idea who we were possibly going to send it to i assume i assume michelini got you know because a, he's a listed cut of the, as action, the writer the co-writer as yeah. it is so i i don't know what um i i I just don't know. <laughs> right. But I do know. Layton, it says here in the issue, he's the writer. But so. I do know Layton just basically said that he never wants to work for Marvel again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I know that uh, he did. Uh, he did a final Iron Man project for them and they were kind of holding out on him until this 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 series is going to go on down. Mm-hmm. So and then we talked about Charlton characters for a bit, but that's okay. another podcast. But, All right. Cool. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's 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 interesting to see just how this works as it is. And yeah, we, we could try doing our podcast just on the controversy of work for hire, everything else, because mm-hmm. just right now, Don Glute and this has nothing to do with what's going on, but I think it, I'm going to say it anyway. Right. Don Glute, who's been famous for being a fanboy done right. He mm-hmm. did a bunch of he worked, went to school with George Lucas. He was famous for doing these crazy fan films of his like uh, Spider-Man versus Frankenstein. Mm. Just he did a bunch of crazy stuff it's with his film. Friends. He did fill little 16 millimeter, oh, eight wow. millimeter like fanboy films mm-hmm. of like, you know, Shazam versus Superman and mm-hmm. all this crazy stuff as it is. But anyway, he wrote he, he wrote the adapt, film adaptation novelization of uh, Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. but he wrote um, 
the little uh, pseudo comic books that used to come with the uh, Masters of the Universe yeah. figures. He wrote those. Oh, well, and I know Mark Texiera did those artwork. Did the artwork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote those, and now he's saying that, well, that wasn't work for hire. Um, I mm. think I deserve a piece of the, the He-Man action, so he and right. Mattel are duking out in the courts right Ooh. now. Actually, Mattel is suing him because I think he went ahead and applied for uh, the copyright on it, and then Mattel's like, wait a minute, what do you think you're doing? And uh. just, well, this wasn't work for hire, you, I developed these. These were packaged with your car, uh, with your toys. Yeah. So I. By the way, I remember those. Th- those were probably the best stories associated with those characters that I can recall. Probably. I mean, certainly I, better than the filmation cartoon. I I do. Uh, pr- DC, of course, right now is putting out uh, a Masters of the Universe series, which I haven't okay. read. I, I should say for that time. Yeah, well, it's curious because uh, uh, He-Man fandom is very polarized about it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, too, being I'm a fan of Mattel's DC stuff. Not necessarily. I'm not so much a He-Man fan, but of course, we're on the same message boards as it is, and mm-hmm. it's just it, it's it's bolster and bile. I mean, there's there's no there's no in between on that. Those guys are just all I hate it. I love it. I hate, you know. Mm-hmm. But hey, that's internet fandom for you. You're right. So, in short, you got a lot more than just Iron Man 128 with this podcast. Yeah. But um, <laughs> hopefully you learned a lot. If you've got any questions, feel free to email us at the email that I'll be providing somewhere. Yeah, it'll, it'll go on to it. <laughs> as it is, you know. All right. Thanks for, for, for listening. Thanks for subscribing. Take care. Have a good one.